following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. Faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if we, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned? whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Um, We we turn, uh, as we come to chapter 3, a slightly new point that the the author is making in this written sermon, and just to kind of remind us, because as I shared before, Hebrews is really a written sermon. Uh, in chapters one and two, uh, if you remember, if you if you weren't here, just to review quickly, in chapters one and two, we saw that Jesus is God's final and complete revelation. Uh, he is really the culmination of everything that the Old Testament prophets pointed to and, and wrote about. Uh, we also saw that he's greater than the, uh, and his message is greater than the message that even the angels delivered. Because Jesus is greater as the one who came, God is the incarnate word, God in flesh. Um, and uh, we saw in, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, the first, what's known as a warning passage, where the writer tells us, uh, we need to pay much closer attention. If Jesus is God's ultimate revelation, then we need to pay Serious attention to that revelation. Uh, now in chapter 3, he begins what's called the second warning passage. 
Um, there's five of these, and they're, they're what every preacher loves and, and is terrified of all at the same time, because uh, they are full of all kinds of interesting theology that we will unpack. Um, uh, so, second warning passage, and the focus here is not so much explaining Scripture as he's challenging with us with it. It's an exhortation. He's calling us to do something about this, this revelation that we have in Jesus. Um, and, and in these warning passages, we really discover something of the real purpose of the sermon, what the preacher has in mind as he unpacks uh, these Old Testament passages. Um, and the purpose is this. He is worried, clearly, that his readers will fall away from God. In fact, in the passage we just read, he talks about it. He uses that language. He says, do not uh, let yourselves fall away from God. Uh, And he says that if you do fall away, you will not enter into God's rest uh, as Israel. Uh, So this this topic or this passage raises a number of very important questions for every believer. And and here are some of them. And... uh, I'm not going to answer them all this morning, but as we go through the book of Hebrews, we will. But here's the questions. If you are truly saved, can you really fall away from God? Hopefully most of you here this morning are here and you know that you have put your faith and trust in Jesus. Um, Maybe you would think, well, it's impossible for me to fall away from God. I'm saved, right? And if I'm saved, we can't really fall away from God. Uh, But the author of Hebrews... uh, Thought differently. He, he implies here that it is possible to be truly saved and yet fall away from God. Um, um, likewise, he, he, he implies here that a true believer could become hard-hearted, whatever he means by that. Um, so then it comes up with another question, right? The second question, if a truly saved person does fall away from God, what happens to them? What does it mean if you fall away from God. Is he saying here that you could lose your salvation? Um, what, uh, and, and kind of part of that question is, what does he mean by God's eternal rest? He says, you will not enter God's rest. Uh, so what is God's rest? Um, if God's rest is not eternal life, then what is it? Right? So there's a couple options. God's rest could be heaven, could be eternal life. Um, and that would mean that if you fall away, you lose your salvation, that you cannot get into heaven. Um, or does he mean something else? Does he mean something else by rest that's not eternal life, that's something different? And if so, what is it? Um, if we can't lose our salvation, then what exactly is lost if we fall away from God and we become hard-hearted towards him and we do not enter his rest? Uh, and most importantly of all, whatever all the answers are to those questions, the most important question of all for us is, how do we make sure this does not happen to us? Because whatever it is he's talking about here is something that would clearly be a problem for any follower of Christ, anybody who's been saved. And he challenges his readers, do not let this happen to you. Right? Make sure that you do not fall away from God, that you do not become hard-hearted and fall into unbelief. Uh, so we want to really think about how do we make sure this doesn't happen to us? How do we protect ourselves and those who, who are in the body of Christ, our children, our family, those whom we love, that they don't fall away? Um, so let's, let's, let's see what uh, the writer has to say about all of this. Um, 
And he actually starts off, before he gets into some of those heavier questions, he starts off, as he always does, with some really good declarations about Jesus. And I love the, the, the book of Hebrews because the writer, over and over again, starts with Jesus. He ends with Jesus, and everything in between is mostly about Jesus. Um, he's a good preacher. And this is how good preaching should be, right? Good preaching should be focused and centered on Jesus. Um, and to give you an idea, let's jump all the way down to verse 5. He says, Now Moses was, a, was faithful in all God's house as a servant uh, to, testify to, the things, to testify to the things that were to be spoken of later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are in his house. We are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope. Um, so before he gets to all these questions about falling away, he starts with Jesus um, and, and he talks about Jesus being faithful over God's house. Um, uh, and it references back really to chapter 2, verse 17, where he said uh, that you know, Jesus is, uh, in, the, in chapter 1 actually, he talks about Jesus being God's final revelation. In chapter 2, he touches a little bit on Jesus being God's perfect and final redemption, where he says in verse 17, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Remember that really big word, propitiation, means he appeased God's wrath for us towards sin. Right? He turned away God's wrath that was toward us by dealing with uh, sin on the cross. Um, and then he comes to chapter uh, 3 and he talks about Jesus being God's highest and most honored caretaker or servant over his house. So what does he mean by that? Well, to explain this, he compares Jesus with Moses. And he said, uh, verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. What he's talking about here is the faithfulness of Jesus as a caretaker over God's house. And he compares him to Moses, who was also uh, faithful, faithful caretaker, a faithful servant over the house of Israel. Um, what does he mean by being faithful? Well, he means he did his job well. He was reliable and dependable. He was a faithful steward. Uh, and Moses did it uh, as, as the, the leader of the exodus. Uh, God um, appointed him, raised him up to lead the people out of slavery in Egypt. Uh, and he instructed him on the laws and commands to follow and serve God. He explained to him how to build a tabernacle so that the people could worship God as they should. And, and Moses was faithful in all these things. He followed instructions. He did exactly what God told him to. Uh, he was obedient. He was careful and diligent with the instructions God gave. But not only that, he was also faithful to the people of Israel. And if you remember, the people of Israel were, were not the easiest group of people to lead. Remember, they were stubborn, and they were rebellious, and they were hard-hearted. And while Moses was up on the mountain getting this amazing revelation from God, and, and God was showing him all his instructions, the people were down creating an idol in the form of a, a golden calf to be worshipped. 
And God says, Moses, the people have sinned. They've created another God. They've abandoned and rejected me. Stand back because I'm going to wipe them out. And what does Moses do? (laughs) Moses doesn't say, yeah, go for it. I don't like them either. Um, Not what he does, right? He, He falls on his face before God and he pleads with God that God would show mercy and grace, that he would forgive them. And so he's faithful, not only... In, in following directions, but he's faithful as an intercessor who pleads on behalf of the people, as, of course, God knew that he would. And, of course, God does give grace and mercy and forgiveness. Uh, and so, so, so Moses uh, and, and Israel knew this, and, and he was highly regarded as really the supreme prophet and high priest of Israel. Uh, he was the forerunner, the first and the highest. And so the most honored in all the prophets and all of the Old Testament the one they looked to the most as the faithful caretaker of the house of Israel was Moses. And so he says, likewise, Jesus is faithful in the same way. Right? He is faithful as a high priest. He is faithful to God who appointed him. Jesus was careful to obey everything that the Father commanded him to do. And the Bible tells us he was obedient even unto the point of death. Right? He willingly went to the cross in obedience to uh, what God called him to do and commanded him. Uh, but he was also faithful to the people. Uh, like Moses, uh, Jesus uh, intercedes for us. But not only does he intercede, not only is he a high priest who mediates God's wrath by, by providing an atoning sacrifice, even more than that, Jesus gave his own life as that atoning sacrifice. He was the sacrifice. And as we celebrate in communion... It's his body and his blood that deals with our sin, that turns away God's wrath. So, so Jesus, uh, like Moses, was faithful. And we are now God's house, right? Or we could call it God's household. He says that um, if, we, if we hold to faith, we, we are members of his household. We're part of it because of the work that Jesus has done. So, so he's using this comparison to show us really the faithfulness of Jesus as one who loves us, uh, who loves God, and is faithful in obedience to the Father, but also in ministering and caring for us as his children. So therefore, he says, uh, they're both great examples of faithful service, but he says, Jesus is better, right? Both examples of faithful service, but Jesus is better. Verse 3, he says, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Uh, both faithful servants. But Jesus is worthy of more glory because he, um, and, and he's greater than Moses, because ultimately he's the builder of the house. Uh, Moses was part of the house. He was one of the house of Israel. So he was kind of a servant Serving the, uh, serving the people from, from inside. Jesus is the builder of the house. He's eternal God. He's creator of everything. And he says, just like a, a, a house can never get as much honor as the architect and builder who designed it. Likewise, Jesus gets more glory because he's the founder of the house. He's its builder and creator. Um, and he says, this is not to, this is not to demean Moses. He says that Moses uh, simply did his job and pointed to the real thing. Verse 5, now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant 
to testify to the things that were to be spoken of later. In other words, everything that Moses did, the, the, the law and the commands, uh, the instructions to build the temple, all the instructions about the sacrifices that they gave, all pointed to something that would be spoken of later. And of course, the writer of Hebrews tells us what was spoken of. In, in verse chapter 1, verse 1, he says, Long ago God spoke through the prophets, but in these last days God has spoken through a son. You guys should know this. You guys should just like know this, right? He's spoken through a son, right? His son, Jesus. Jesus is the culmination, the final revelation. And so everything that Moses did simply pointed to something better, something more real and something more permanent. What Moses created were pictures and images that Jesus was the fulfillment and completion of. Uh, so, of course, the sacrifices are a picture of that. Right? Moses was commanded to slaughter a lamb and to apply its blood to the temple and, and sometimes to people. Um, that was just a picture. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And everything that Moses did was a picture pointed to the real thing, who is Jesus. Uh, so he's worthy of, of, of more honor. Um, and, and we are brought into his house, not by the picture, but by the real thing, by his own blood, by Jesus' sacrifice. We become members of God's household by faith. Uh, so he says in 6b, we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. What is our confidence, or what is it that we boast in? Do I boast in my good deeds? Look at me. I'm confident I'm going to heaven because I am such a good person. Is that my confidence? Well, that's my confidence I'm in trouble because I know that there's times when I'm a good person, but there's times when I'm not such a good person. And what's more than that, the Bible tells us that all of our righteousness, all of our attempts at goodness in the end are nothing but filthy rags. Our best efforts fall short of what's required by God to meet his holy, perfect standard. Uh, so my boast can't be in my own good deeds, my own good effort, my own being a good person, right? Our confidence is in something else. Uh, our hope is something else. And of course, what he means here is Jesus. Jesus is our confidence. He is the boasting of our hope, right? What I'm confident in is what Jesus has done to deal with my sin and make me righteous in his sight, uh, to make me pure and clean and truly good, by his doing, not mine. That's our boast. Um, so he says, we're part of this house. We make up this house. We are brought in as members of God's household through the work of Jesus. We belong uh, as we are confident, as we hold fast in faith to what Jesus has done. In other words, our, our entrance into this salvation is by believing that Jesus is who he said he was, the, the, the Son of God sent from heaven, and that he died uh, on purpose as a sacrifice for our sins. When we believe that and we trust that, uh, we are in his house. We are saved. Um, so the question here, come back to our big questions about what all this means. Uh, does the writer of Hebrews, as he's writing these things, does he believe the people he's writing to are saved? Does he have in his mind that these people have made this confession of faith, this profession of faith? Right? Is that what he's thinking? Um, 
Well, notice we to get the answer to that, we've got to go back to uh, chapter 3, verse 1, and notice how he addresses the people he's talking to. Verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, by the way, not, not just the, this is kind of universal, brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling. Right? What does he mean by holy brothers? Now, if he was just speaking of his fellow Jewish brothers, he could have used the term brother. And, and he could have been referring to any people who, who were in the tribe of, 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 uh, of Israel, the people of Israel, his fellow countrymen. But that's not what he says. He doesn't just call them brothers. He calls them holy brothers. And this just a, just a few verses after he talks about how we are made holy or consecrated by what? By Jesus. Right? He has here in mind a specific group of people. Uh, not, not Israel. He has in mind those who have put their faith in Christ and have become believers, converts, followers of Jesus, holy brothers. Uh, and if that's confusing, like if that's not clear enough, he goes on further to say that they are those who share in a heavenly calling. In other words, they've been called from heaven and are actually called to heaven. Uh, we are those who have received the heavenly inheritance which is eternal life in Christ. So in other words, he's picturing here people who are saved. He is writing these words to people who he's convinced have already experienced uh, regeneration, salvation, uh, through faith in Christ. People who know God, who know his salvation, uh, who have been sanctified by the blood of Jesus, and who are called into uh, this heavenly household, who are current members of heaven by means of this heavenly calling, who called into heaven uh, relationship with God who is in heaven, um, where heaven is not only a future, reality, a future hope, but a present reality. That's what salvation does for us. Salvation makes us currently members and residents of heaven. Right? Uh, now, of course, we're also residents of earth. Someday we will stop being residents of this temporary world and we'll be permanent residents of a permanent heaven. But we're still residents of heaven today. We're part of that place. Um, So clearly he's talking to people who he believes are true followers of Christ. Um, So just to summarize this first section real quickly, he's making two big points here. The first point is that Jesus is faithful over God's house. That, that we can trust Jesus because he is a, the most faithful, careful, diligent servant uh, tending to and caring for God's people in God's house. He's reliable, right? He's better than the Energizer Bunny, right? He's dependable. He's faithful. Um, uh, by his power and his grace, he is watching over and caring for us as members of his, of his household, his family, we are his, as he said earlier in chapter 2, we are his brothers, his family. Second big point that he's made, making is that, is that these people have entered into this relationship. There are people who have been saved, who know this salvation. Um, then he turns to the rest of this section in verse 7, and he, he kind of gets to the main point of what he's talking about here. And he does it by quoting Psalm 95. So verses 7 through 11 are actually a direct quote out of the Old Testament from Psalm 95. And, and, and so this is what he says. He says, since, 
And there's a therefore. It begins with the word therefore. He's tying it back into what he's just said. In other words, since Jesus is faithful as, as a son over God's house, and since you are holy brothers and sisters in that family of faith, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he begins his quote, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they will always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As they swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Um, Psalms uh, 95 is, is warning uh, worshipers not to follow in the footsteps of their their forefathers who were part of the Exodus. Um, they and, and actually Psalms, it's, it's to, to make it even more confusing, Psalm 95 is actually a reflection of Numbers 14. You got that? There will be a test. Right? So you got to know those numbers. Psalm 95 and Numbers... Wow, you guys are good. I think you passed. Right? A lot of, lot of history here, right? And he assumes that they know this history. And then this is the history. The people were led out of, the, uh, out of Egypt, the Exodus. God did these really cool things to uh, overthrow Pharaoh. And if you've been with us here in last year, we, we, taught, we went through the book of Exodus. We saw this, right? And God brought them on this incredible journey through the Red Sea where he wiped out the army of, of Egypt, but he led them through on dry, dry ground through the Red Sea. And they saw this stuff with their own eyes. They experienced God's incredible deliverance and rescue. They were set free. They had been slaves, and now they were a free people, free to worship and follow and serve God. And then God brings them to, the mount, to Mount Sinai, and God himself speaks to them from the mountain, and they heard his voice speak the Ten Commandments. Um, and then after they're there for a while and they get more instructions and commands and they build a tabernacle, then God leads them on from there almost to the, to the very border of the promised land at a place called Kadesh. And there he said, okay, now is the time. You are ready. I'm going to give you this promised land. It's yours. All you have to do is march in there and, and overthrow the people who, who live there. Piece of cake, right? Well, they, they, they thought, well, we better check this out. So they sent some spies in who surveyed the land, and they came back and they said, yes, this is an amazing land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. We want to live here. But there's one small little glitch, right? Um, the nations who live there are like giants. They live in fortified cities, and in their sight, we are like grasshoppers, Okay. Not meaning we bounce around a lot, meaning we're small, right? We're little in their sight. And uh, instead of having faith that God would save them, what did the people do? They respond with unbelief. And they say, we cannot go in because we will be destroyed. And they grumble and complain against God. God, why did you bring us all the way this far to kill us? Right? Why did you bring us out here to destroy us? Why didn't you just destroy us in Egypt and save us all the headache? And they did not believe God's word. They did not believe that he was going to conquer the inhabitants of the land. 
And so that's the reflection of, of Psalms 95. He says their failure to trust God and believe he would take care of them caused them to be rebellious and hard-hearted. Um, and he said, as a result of that, they will not enter my rest. And that generation died in the wilderness and did not enter the promised land. They all uh, died in the wilderness, including Moses, by the way. Only, only two uh, made it into the promised land. Then in verse 12, so that's, he, he, he reads this, the psalm, and then in verse 12 he gives his explanation, or really his application of what he's getting at by these words. And, uh, and this is where it gets to the, uh, kind of where the rubber meets the road, if you will. And this is what he says. He says, take care, brothers. Okay, so he's not quoting anymore. Now he's speaking directly to his, his listeners, his readers. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Um, Simple challenge, he says, and again, he's speaking to people who are people of faith. He's speaking to people who have put their trust in Jesus, uh, who are holy brothers and sisters. And he says to these people, take care, watch out, be, be, be warned that you can fall away. You can let your heart be hardened and you can be led to fall away from the living God. Um, being saved does not mean you can't fall away from God. Just because you took the first steps of faith that put your trust in Jesus to save you doesn't mean that you are guaranteed to walk with him forever. The, the author makes it clear that it is very possible for us to fall away, to, to lose our, our believing heart, Right? And, and as a consequence to not enter his rest. Um, how does that happen, right? What happened to these people? What could happen to us? What is he worried that will happen to his readers that would result in them washing out spiritually? And the reality is, you know, if we think about people we know, right? I can think about people who have sat in these chairs, who, who listen to God's word Sunday after Sunday, who have washed out spiritually, who have fallen away from God, who have become people not of faith but of unbelief. Right? Uh, and as I look at you now, you know, it would break my heart to think that, that someone sitting here today is, is, is on the verge of that. Right? He's in a place where their faith is slipping. And they are just a few short steps away from falling away from God. What does that mean? And how does this happen? How does this, how does this come upon us? Well, he says there's basically three causes uh, that, that, can, that can lead to us falling away from God. First one is in verse 12. He says, Take care, brothers, lest there be, any, uh, be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. The ultimate cause is this. 
It is a heart of unbelief. It is when we stop trusting and believing in Jesus. Um, It is possible to believe him and then for it to slip, to diminish, to slide, to cease. Just like Israel. Uh, They had witnessed God at work for 40 years. Uh, They had seen God do incredible miracles. Right? Like, I don't know what the, you know, crossing through the Red Sea really looked like. Um, if it was as spectacular as it is in the movies or not, I don't know. Um, whatever the case, you know, when, when God swallowed up the armies of Egypt in the Red Sea, uh, this had to be cool. Right? It just had to be cool. Like, you think you're going to die one minute and the next, the, the next minute, your enemy's gone. And all there is is a, is a calm ocean. Right? They saw this. Uh, but when God said, today I'm going to bring you into the promised land, they could not believe it. Um, they, they saw what God did in the past, but they could not believe God would continue to do that tomorrow. Right? Well, what does that look like for us? Well, I think it can look like this. We can th- say to ourselves and think, sure, God sent his only and dearly loved son as a perfect sacrifice for sin. I know that. Sure, Jesus laid down his own life and surrendered and died in my place out of his great love for me. That's awesome. Sure, God raised Jesus from the dead with his mighty power over death, the grave, sin, and all the powers of darkness. Such is God's power. Sure, God saved me and gave me eternal life. Sure, he made me his child, and now I am seated with Jesus on the, on the throne of God in the highest place in all of heaven for all eternity. Sure, I believe all that. But I'm not sure God loves me enough to take care of my relatively small and temporary problems. <laughs> have you ever thought that? I have. <laughs> like often, right? Yeah, sure, Jesus died for my sins and he rose from the dead. Sure, he's God eternal that created heavens and earth. But I don't really think he can help me with my problem. Because my problem is bigger than all of that. You ever been there? We have unbelief. It's it's exactly, it is exactly what happened to Israel. Sure, I know that God has sustained me and provided for me and taken care of me every day of my life up to today. But I think today it's over. Because tomorrow it all ends. And it goes downhill from here, right? You ever been there? Uh, it is, and, and that is a heart of unbelief. And then the reality is that our problems, as big as they are to us, and I'm not, I don't want to discount our problems. I know that when you're in the midst of a problem, it's a big deal. But in terms of eternity, they are relatively small and always very temporary. Right? I don't believe God really cares that I am lonely. Now, is it heartbreaking to be alone and lonely? It's hard. Okay, I don't, I don't diminish that. But does God care about that? I don't think God can care for me when I'm sick. I don't believe God really cares that my husband or my wife or my children don't love me as much as I wish they would or as I think they should. Right? God doesn't understand the marriage I'm in. Right? Why doesn't he do something about my wife or my husband? Why doesn't he fix them? Right? If God really loved me, he would 
zap them and you know, like, give me a new one or something or give them an overhaul. Right? You ever pray for that? Right? I don't trust God to provide for my financial needs. Right? I know he's gotten me this far, but I think he's broke. And from here on out, there's no hope. I have no confidence that God cares if I succeed or fail. We can have these seeds of unbelief. Uh, and, and ultimately what it comes down to is failing to believe he is faithful. Right? That's why he starts off with this thing. He's faithful over God's house. He, he gave his life for it. This is the Jesus who is the son who is caretaker and shepherd of the house of God. Faithful. But the problem is we start believing, well, he's not really going to be faithful to me. Right? He's not really that reliable. And what we need to see here is he calls this kind of unbelief, he says in verse 12, it is an evil, unbelieving heart leading us to fall away from God. And what he's saying here is when we start letting this kind of doubt and unbelief erode our faith and our trust, it is it is produces in us an evil, unbelieving heart. Um, lack of faith is not simply just a struggle. It's evil. Right? And, 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 and you know, I kind of wrestle with this because often I feel like, God, I want to believe you, but honestly, I don't. My faith is insufficient. And, and we pray this prayer, Lord, help my unbelief, as if it's, well, it is part of every human condition. It's what we all struggle with. But we can get the attitude that this is normal and it's okay. Lord, I know I don't have enough faith and, you know, maybe tomorrow I'll get there. But today I just don't have it. And so I'm sorry, but it's just kind of the way it is. And, you know, no big deal. He says, no, it is, it is evil. It is the sign of a wicked, evil heart. And when, there's, when we have an evil, wicked heart, what we need is to seek God's forgiveness. Right? If we identify in our life lack of faith, not trusting God to care for us, not believing that Jesus will be faithful to us, it's a sin that we need to confess and repent from. Um, and understand that our heart is wrong. Our heart is messed up. Our heart is evil. And we need, to, we need a change of heart. And the truth is, we can't change it, right? That's the message of the gospel. We cannot change our own heart. But God can, right? And that's the work of Jesus. That's the work of the cross. That's what we celebrate in communion. That through his death on the cross, through his shed blood, he makes the means and the way for our heart to be changed from an evil, unbelieving heart to one of true faith. So if there is creeping into your life doubt, unbelief, mistrust, right? we need to confess it. We need to turn away from that as sin. And we need to plead with God to give us a new and different kind of heart. To take away our evil heart and replace it with one that is uh, from him and in him. That's the first thing, right? First thing is... We um, we don't believe. Second thing, we can be deceived by sin. Verse 13, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay, we can be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. A second cause of falling away 
uh, is that we are tricked, we are deceived, we are conned by sin. And ultimately, this is also really at its root uh, a problem of lack of faith or, or disbelief. And this is how it works. When we don't really believe that, God, that Jesus is faithful, when we're not absolutely confident that it's God's heart to take care of us, that he loves us, and that he will do everything in his infinite, unending power to care for us, to protect us, to build us up in him, to shepherd us, uh, to love us as his dear children. If we are not confident in that, then we will begin to believe uh, the lie of sin. And this is the lie of sin, and it's the lie that Satan told Adam and Eve in the garden. He said, you know, God, God is holding out on you, right? God knows, this was told Adam and Eve, God knows that if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it will make you like him, and God doesn't want you to be like him, right? God is going to shortchange you, but I have a better way, right? I, I know what's going to really make you happy, what's really going to fulfill you as a person. And that's the lie of sin. Right? We say, well, God, God can't possibly know what I really want. God doesn't know me. God can't possibly care about me enough to know what's going to make me really happy. In fact, I think God is holding out on me, and he's just a grumpy old man who wants me to be miserable. Right? He's not a faithful shepherd who takes care of his household. No, he's a stingy, stingy uh, homeowner who's holding back. Right? And the only way I'm going to be really happy or full or... Uh, satisfied as if I take things into my own hands, my own power, my own control. And I pursue joy and pleasure and happiness and purpose apart from God. And the Bible says that when we do that, when we pursue any of that apart from God, it is sin. It is rebellion. Because it is ultimately disbelief that God knows what's best for us and cares for us enough to bring it about in our life. So we need something else because God's not going to give us what's best. And so we are deceived by sin. And we walk down the path of sin pursuing joy and pleasure and happiness and fulfillment in the things of this world, in the desires of my own heart and flesh, and not in God. And he says that this deception results in us being hard-hearted. And I, I love that it goes back to our heart. It becomes something that, that affects our very heart. We begin to resist God and his word. We begin to scorn his promise and mock his truth. Um, God can't really do those miracles. Maybe God wants to help me, but God's not big enough. You know, maybe he could help, you know, wipe out all of Egypt, but you know, this is the 20-whatever first century, whatever century it is. I always get that confused. He can't possibly know how to help us now, Right? God doesn't really love me. God's not really interested in me. God's not going to help me. And we start to become hard-hearted. And we push God away. Last thing, we, we, we begin to resist his voice. Verse 15, today it is, as it is said, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Right? Uh, hard-heartedness is ultimately turning our ear and, uh, away from God and not letting him speak to us anymore. 
Uh, the reality is God is always speaking. He says, long ago, God spoke through the prophets. More recently, he's spoken in his son. And all that is recorded in the revelation of scripture, the Bible, right? God speaks to us in his word, through his word. And I love here when he, when he quotes Psalm 95, he doesn't say the psalmist says, or he doesn't say David says. He says the Holy Spirit says to us. Right? He clearly identifies this word as the Holy Spirit speaking to us through scripture. Right? We, we, we get in, in huge trouble when we start ignoring scripture. Right? When we uh, do not take seriously and begin to neglect the Bible and God's revelation in Scripture. Um, and it starts off, this is how it starts off, right? We start getting really busy. Uh, we just can't quite get up early in the morning. I mean, our schedule is too full, and so we, we don't read the Bible as often as we ought. And we say to ourselves, well, today I'm busy, but it'll be better tomorrow. Tomorrow I'll get up at 4 o'clock and I'll read my Bible for four hours, Right? Next year, when I finish this project, when I get done with school, right? Someday in the future, I'll be really spiritual and I'll be in the Word. And I love how he keeps saying uh, several times in this passage, he says, today, today, now is the time. Not tomorrow. Today, you need to be in the Word. Right? You need to take it seriously. You are never too busy for the Bible. Right? If you are too busy, what you're too busy for is... (laughs) going to get you into a hard-hearted falling away from God. Or maybe we do read the Bible, but it's only a duty, an empty habit. Right? We're not really reading it to listen to God's voice. We read it for as an academic exercise or just to check off something off our list of see how good and spiritual I am. Uh, but we're not, we're not pouring into God's word to hear him speak to us. And there's a reason for that. <laughs> And the reason is this, when we start hearing God speak to us, he asks us to do things we probably don't like, right? Because our flesh does not always have our best interest. God does. So we resist his voice. We don't want God telling us what to do. We want to be in control of our own life. And so we grow hard-hearted. We grow deaf to his word. Uh, we settle for knowledge, uh, but we we, we, we are content with knowing stuff instead of knowing God, instead of being in relationship with him, instead of knowing him more deeply and more intimately. And he says the result of this is that we are in rebellion. But again, this is not light stuff. He's saying the result is that we are in rebellion against him because we are not actually doing what the word says. We, as James says, we become hearers only and not doers. All right, so how do, we, how do we overcome this? We're out of time, but let me give you these three things real quick. Uh, we can guard our, our, our faith by doing also three things. He gives actually a number of things, but let me summarize them in three. First of all, we need to take Jesus seriously. Right? He says in verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. And the word doesn't mean consider like, well, just think about it once in a while. It means to seriously consider. The word was used of astronomers when they would go out all night long and study the stars with all of their energy and effort. Right? That's what he means. You know, consider Jesus. Do not ever let Jesus get off of your radar. 
Take his word seriously. The best way to battle unbelief is to immerse yourself deeply in his word and in the truth about who Jesus is. We need to reflect often on all that he's done for us. Like daily, you need to be thinking about the price that Jesus paid for your sin. We need to contemplate deeply Jesus and his cross, his resurrection and his rule. Right? To understand what he is as a faithful steward over God's house. We need to ponder often his promises and claim them as my own. God has promised to take care of you. But we need to remember, remind ourselves of that constantly and claim it as true in our life. Second thing, we need to exhort one another. He says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. One of our problems is that our whole Christian life has become far too much individualistic. It's all about me. My walk with God. But the scripture writers are clear that it's not just about me. It is about the body of Christ. And not only do you have a responsibility to keep yourself on track, but you have a responsibility for your brother and sister in Christ as well. As it turns out, we are our brother's keeper. And we have a responsibility to be exhorting each other, to be living in the kind of community where we know each other well enough that we can be accountable and hold each other accountable to these truths. Third thing, uh, we just need to take care of our heart. Realize that this is ultimately a heart issue. He says in verse 12, Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Got to deal with it. Uh, Verse 15, As it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Verse 6, We are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting. Right? We need to hold on to our faith. Verse 14, we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original confidence, the faith that we had that saved us. We've got to hold on to that faith with all of our heart and being. All right, so what happens if we fall away? Look at the time. We're going to have to quit. <laughs> You're going to have to come back and find out next week what happens if we fall away. So I'm telling you, you better not fall away between now and next Sunday. Right? Because you don't know what's going to happen. Right? And here's the thing. If you're, if you're worried about what happens, if you're like, well, how, how, you know, like what's the minimum standard here? Well, you're probably already in trouble, right, of falling away you're probably already putting at risk your faith. You're probably already growing a hardened heart and you are not hearing his voice. And and the consequences are severe. I'm not going to tell you what they are yet, but they are severe. Right? So let's not let ourselves go down that path. And let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.